the tomb is empty, and uh, that was going to be my message, but as I kind of thought about this, I changed it to um, the gifts of Easter, being holiness, H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, and wholeness, with W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. And that's part of the gift that God has given us, to make us holy and to make us whole as well. And uh, that's really great news, what God is wanting to do for us. I was uh, really enjoyed on Friday. Some of you came here to see the film Risen, and some of the younger ones went to see the Prince of Egypt uh, next door. But it was so good to see people outside eating in the foyer, eating hot cross buns, just having fun fellowship again. It's been so cool to, uh, uh, to see that happening. We've missed it. You know, it was just a real joy to see around the, the coffee tables um, last week. A warning for those who are in the deluxe seats at the back on the left. We haven't moved them back. But the danger is if you get too comfortable there and you fall asleep, the sound desk is going to turn the camera around on you and expose you next week. So they're very comfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm too scared to sit in them just in case. <laughs> Right, well, a, a lot of people are celebrating various religious festivities this weekend. And interesting, it's the same weekend here. Is, is, uh, Islam is, is celebrating Ramadan, it's just started, where they have a, a time of restraint from food, sexual activity, drinking. And uh, they believe God has forgiven them for their past sins believe that God opened up to them through Ishmael, one of the sons of Abraham. No atonement is required for sin, and that their, scale, their, their, their deeds be weighed, weighed on the scales at the end. And they have a kind of a fatalistic view of God. It's up to God, really, what he does. And so they're celebrating that at this time of year. And uh, at the same weekend as we celebrate Good Friday... The Jewish people are celebrating Passover. And so the, uh, Islam was started in the 7th century. Passover happened 2,000 years earlier when God made a covenant with the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that the world would be blessed through them. And that as God rescued them, he would show them how to live. And so when they got into trouble... And they were in slavery in Egypt. God said to them, take a Passover lamb, identify yourself as my people, and spread the lamb, uh, the, uh, the blood on the lintels or the door frames that people would know that you are my people. And the angel of death passed over them. And God revealed uh, himself to them by his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, I don't know exactly. And so we have that being celebrated this weekend. More recently, some of you might have heard of uh, the Baha'i faith, started in Iran in the 19th century. They believe God is personally unknowable. But he spoke through various prophets, including Adam, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and that uh, Behula was the final prophet who would come. And strangely enough, although this originated in Iran, he, this final prophet is actually buried in a tomb 
there in the, the top screen in Haifa in Israel. Bit of a strange thing. But his tomb is definitely full. And so these various religions and celebrations are going on that people are marking is they can't all be true. Because some talk about a knowable God, some talk about an unknowable God. And so either all these religions are wrong, or one is right, and all the others are wrong. And so that's one of the, the considerations we think of today. And we hope that we're following the right one. But in biblical Judaism, I, I call that just to... to um, acknowledge the difference between that and rabbinical Judaism, which is the Judaism of the Bible, is um, they've been celebrating Passover for 2,000 years. And yet the world is still in, in a mess. And uh, the only place I can find as to why the world is in a mess is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And it talks about the world being fallen after it was created. But God gave a promise of a new covenant and that will be fulfilled through Jesus. And so Christianity becomes a continuation of Judaism when God became man through Jesus, lived a perfect life, and fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And the Passover lamb identified those who were God's people. And so they put that blood up on the lintel. And today, we're called God's people when we identify with the Passover lamb in a metaphor sense for Jesus and that he sacrificed himself, that we would have freedom not from slavery of, uh, from Egypt, but slavery from sin. And he rose on Resurrection Sunday, and we're celebrating that today when we declare the blood of the lamb over our lives. God's judgment passes over us and that is the essence of God's love for you and me we messed up but Jesus paid the price and the gift of God is eternal life a restored relationship with a holy and righteous God into eternity Nick was talking about that before isn't that wonderful Eternal life. The world is dying to know eternal life, to, to keep living. And we have that truth. And the proof, proof of Jesus' claims that he had that power was that he would rise from the dead. And we're celebrating that on Resurrection Sunday. The one who was dead is now alive. Isn't that worth a hallelujah? Yeah. Hallelujah. But some people will say, well, why do we need a saviour? What do I need to be saved from? Some people will say, I'm a good person. I've helped others. Or I've never done anything really bad. Only the Bible can give us an answer to these questions. Yeah, no one is going to have eternal life with God by boasting that they got there by their own goodness or their own good works. And people are often striving to do enough good works to please what they think will please God. 
And some just justify themselves. Well, I've done nothing bad, so I'm sure I'll be fine when I go and meet God. Others think I'm not good enough. Because of shame and guilt, they don't believe that they are worthy of forgiveness and live in a self-made prison. Others are very independent, like Adam and Eve became captains of their own destiny. Religion is weak, they might say. Others don't like the idea that there's only one way to God. Sounds very narrow-minded, doesn't it? If you're in that situation. But who are you and I to argue with God? I'm grateful that he didn't give up on us and he didn't abandon us. And yes, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he also said, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever so believes in him. That is open to everyone because of God's grace. And that's what he has done for us. So to follow Jesus is to be exclusive, but it includes everyone who would open their hearts to him. You know, and God is more interested in our well-being than we are or recognize ourselves. Because he knew and, and planned what he was going to do before the beginning of creation. We're all familiar now with the, the concept of well-being, aren't we? You know, we're here in the schools and in the government and things. Well, this is a biblical concept. And yet you hear people saying, hey, I've come up with this great idea. As if it's original. It's biblical. So many things that we hear as original ideas are actually uh, discovered in the Bible if you look hard enough. And so, well-being, is that how we look after ourselves? In a physical sense, they're, they're, they've identified six dimensions of well-being, as uh, uh, many of these are experts. Uh, there's some, some differences in those, but kind of, you know, we, we understand the physical well-being, running exercise. Intellectual well-being or mental well-being is, is fulfilling our purpose. We need to be satisfied in the purpose that we, we sense we have, to train and equip ourselves, our children, for that, our plans for our finances, for our families, and to have rest and fun, growth and stability. We also have emotional well-being, and emotions are very powerful, aren't they? Sometimes we have trouble con containing them because they are so powerful and destructive, but we need to be aware of those. We've also got environmental well-being, which probably could become more well-known in recent times of the state of, 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 of uh, creation around us. We love it when we're on a mountaintop, don't we? Or somewhere beautiful by the sea. We enjoy it and it feels satisfying when we're out among creation. Social well-being, we all know with COVID, we've been isolated. Hasn't it been hard not gathering? We are made to gather, to be in social relationship. And when those things don't hurt, that don't happen, or when we get these dimensions out of balance, we get out of kilter ourselves. So what's missing from that list? Spiritual. Thank you, David. And it's uh, amazing that often I've heard many people research, do a lot of research on these five dimensions, but ignore the sixth one, 
spiritual. Because it means for some that we're accountable to someone greater than ourselves, and we don't kind of like that, especially if we think we're captains of our own destiny. And the idea of spirituality can be quite diverse as well. You be what you want to be is our cultural mantra of this day. But we're called to actually think about our spiritual future. Because God has made us to live for eternity. And so we spend a lot of time researching holidays, holidays, buying homes, buying cars, all kinds of things. How much time do people spend researching their eternity? I've shown some stats in the past. It would, uh, it's crazy to see how much time people think about spiritual things as opposed to other areas of their lives. One guy I'm very impressed with was a, a guy called Sir William Ramsey. He did his own research. He was a professor of humanity. He was also an atheist. And he decided he was going to disprove the Bible. He'd read Luke's account of Paul's journey through Asia and through Europe sharing the gospel. And one of the things he came across was Luke had used a word in Greek for city of elders or rulers. And uh, he said, I can't find that word anywhere in any Greek literature book in his great library. He said, Luke has made all of this stuff up, and I'm going to go and prove it. Because he was also an archaeologist. So what does he do? He went digging. And so he left Scotland, went across Europe. He came to Thessalonica, where Luke had mentioned this term polytarch. And he went digging, got his spade out, began digging. And what did he find? Not just one, but you can't see it on there, just on that red line. Five times he found that term polytarch, which meant rulers of the city. He was blown away because it had never been found anywhere else. And Luke only used it when he was in this one particular town because it related to them. This word got lost to antiquity, as in years later, Thessalonica got abandoned. The word was lost to antiquity. But Sir William Ramsey had that courage to go and find out. And the more he went around Europe, the more he became convinced of the authenticity of Luke's account of Paul's journey. So what did he do? He gave his life to Christ. He said, the evidence is overwhelming. Because he went researching. And that's a challenge for us, is that we don't want to do that. And the evidence is often just lying in front of us. I was talking to William, my son, um, the other day, and he mentioned a, a, a modern scholar and um, historian, Gary Habermas. And he's done an amazing amount of work on the resurrection. And so he can present this it's evidence that the resurrection was true to many other scholars and, and other people. And so he puts it down in front of them. He says, why didn't you read that? What do they say? Well, I don't think I want to read all of that. It's too hard. Or I don't have the time. Because if you come to the same conclusion as William Ramsey, it's going to change your life. And not everyone wants to be accountable to a God. And this is the greatest question of our lives. And so are you willing to do that research if you don't know God? 
who don't know Jesus and to be open to what you find. This is the greatest story in history we're talking about this morning. If you don't know the Lord, do yourself a service and find out. Because if you're wrong, it has significant consequences. And so coming back to the, uh, just the next slide, there's dimensions of well-being. What we do know and why people are searching in so many places other than the right place is that we are spiritual beings and God has set eternity in our hearts. People are seeking, but sometimes they replace their own interpretation of their own spirituality, a DIY spirituality. But the truth is we are made in God's image for eternity. But our rebellion, our ignoring God has marred that image. And it's left us confused, searching in the wrong places. The trouble is we, we know we are spiritual beings and we're yearning for something from life after death. None of us wants to die unless you're in so much pain and you want to stop the pain. It's a terrible place to be. But if we're spiritually sick, it's going to impact on our well-being and other areas of our lives. If we don't have a spiritual component to our lives, it shapes our whole lives and the other aspects of our well-being. If we don't do that, we have a distorted view of ourself and God. So just put the next slide up here. Hopefully you can read that. What did you say when you look in the mirror? Get a mirror, mirror up. What do you see in that mirror? I wish I was skinny. I wish I'm too fat. My chest is too big, too small. I look awful. What do you think? I'm sure most people in here would see a different image when they look in that mirror than what the mirror actually reflects back. Last Sunday, when we had time of worship, Noel reminded us that in the song that God gives and God takes away. And so people know that God blesses us with things. But uh, someone here remarked afterwards, he didn't know what God takes away until Noel said he takes away our guilt and our shame. That is what God does. He takes those things away. And so, so many of us have this distorted view. Even for Christians, we're still work in progress in seeing ourselves how God wants us to see and the way he wants to transform us. And so... How does Jesus see us? How does God see us? When we look in the mirror, Paul says, for now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. And when we're in Christ, who does God see? He sees Jesus. Because we've identified our lives with him. And so we may feel great one day, we may feel lousy the next day. But our feelings don't determine our identity, our value, our worth. They exist regardless of how we feel. And we're living in a world now that's very much emphasizing how you feel determines truth. But God says, I tell you the truth. And so 
the wonder of that is that Jesus is in the business of restoring us to the image that we were meant to have at the beginning. And that is wonderful news. It is. It takes faith to believe that. Everyone wants to be a better person, don't they? You hear it, even people who are in prison. I wish I could be a better person. God showed us the way, if we're willing. I just want us to pause, just to just have a, uh, on those six dimensions, and just think for a minute, what's, what's good for you in these dimensions? What do you avoid? Maybe pull the shutters down. What are you afraid of? What needs addressing in your life? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost and to restore what has been lost in our image. So just think of those, and then we're going to read some scriptures, and you keep on thinking as we read those scriptures around this wonderful story. What's God saying to you? My favourite prayer is Jesus, help me. I don't know what your favourite prayer is. But if you're struggling in one of those areas, the simplest prayer you can pray, Jesus, help me in this area of my life. And do you know what he'll do? He'll help you. You need to ask. So let's just capture a bit of the, the heart of this Easter story um, and still reflect on those. Here are just some scriptures, and this first one is before Jesus is, um, went to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen, and this is one of three predictions, prophecies he makes. When they came together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. They looked at the word death ignored the word life. They couldn't get over that issue of death. Filled with grief. I'm so glad that Jesus was patient with them. That means he will be patient with me and you as well. And then on the night before Jesus died, he looked towards heaven and prayed with his disciples, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all uh, those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. Ever wonder what, what eternal life is? That, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, a knowable God who desires relationship with you and me. How do we get access to a holy God? Not by Facebook. This is my blood. This, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to do communion in a minute. But God has made a covenant, a special committed relationship with you and I. 
that he will forgive our sins because of what Jesus has done. Boy, we were in a bad place with God and God reached out and has restored that relationship with him and eternal life. We don't deserve that, but what an amazing and generous God we have. And then Jesus is arrested and, and uh, Matthew says, this has all taken place that the writings of the prophet might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. What a great bunch of guys, eh? Cleared off. Three years of Jesus and they clear off. But what would you and I have done in that situation? And Jesus was crucified. The disciples were in terror, hiding. Yet, John tells us, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, with his nail-pierced hands and the hole in his side. Fear turned to boldness, and Peter would go into Jerusalem and declare, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Cowardice to boldness. And then to say salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is God's olive branch. This is the bridge God built for us. And with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And so we see these disciples being transformed. And the Old Testament has said, this would happen. And it did happen. Including the resurrection. One person who was struggling to believe this was Paul, who became the biggest persecutor of the early church. And then he had an encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus. He discovered Jesus was not dead in the tomb, but he was alive. And Paul will go on to preach Christ crucified, which means Christ who has been crucified, the resurrected Christ, is what Paul preached. And that was the heart of his message. And so he would say to the church at Corinth, if Christ hasn't been risen, your faith is the worst of times. Go home, go down the pub, eat, drink, and be merry, because it will be a waste of time. And so Christianity is rooted in something God has done for us. He came into this world. If this event didn't happen, what a waste of time. We're wasting our lives. But Paul knew it to be true when he saw the risen Christ. And if it is true, your eternity depends on it. Your response to it. And when Paul realized Jesus was alive after death, what did he do? He spent the next seven to ten years researching how the Old Testament spoke of a coming Messiah, of God becoming mankind. And he saw that from Genesis right through into the New Testament teachings that they were bringing. And Paul recognized that deception is, is to sincerely believe something that is not true. How do we know we're deceived? We don't. 
God showed that to Paul. People won't die for a lie, and the disciples weren't willing to die for what they saw with their own eyes. There was no mistake. This is no mistaken ideas or principles. They said, we're not going to die. We saw Jesus alive. And there were 500 of them who saw him alive. And they would die because they refused to recount that truth, that they knew Jesus was alive. Many of the great conspiracies have always broken down because people will not go to prison or be punished for a lie that they know to be, uh, to be a lie. And so Paul spent all these years going off. He didn't go off on, on a missionary journey straight away. He spent these years studying the Old Testament. And he was a scholar in it. And so Paul knew all the attributes of God. If you see on the next slide, there are lots of attributes on God. Paul would have been able to quote all of these and know exactly where they were. But how do they relate to Jesus? And yet he was one of Israel's top students. And for Paul the biggest journey he would go on was not going to Damascus or going around the Mediterranean world. The biggest journey was all this knowledge of God getting from his head to his heart. And when it got to his heart, it changed everything. What he knew changed from here. And Paul was transformed. And that's often the issue for us. We sometimes have lots of head knowledge. But do we know Jesus in our hearts too. That is life-changing. And so, some of the questions we might consider as we, we go on that journey ourselves, who am I, what is my purpose, and where am I going? These are the big questions for humanity. And Easter answers those questions. Resurrection Sunday delivers the truth. And people need to hear that, don't they? It was really wonderful on Friday showing the risen through the eyes of a Roman commander what happened at the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, if we have Jesus in our heart, he's growing in our heart, it gets easier to talk about him, to share about him with people who don't know him. I love talking about Liverpool. Some of you may know that because I love Liverpool as an English football team. But if we love Jesus... Ought not we be talking about him? About what he has done for us? No one can dispute what Jesus has done for you. Tell people what he has done for you. And that can help others on their journey. And so Paul came to that conclusion and he connected the dots. And so on the next slide we see in all of the New Testament, I'm not going to go through them. If you want a copy of these, you're willing, I'm willing to to get you a copy of these that just shows how the Bible is one big story of the world going wrong God's plan for redemption Jesus said that whole Old Testament was written about him future history and how it was revealed the Bible is a, is a miracle of God so I encourage you to read it it's transforming so biblical Judaism and Christianity are part of the same story God to restore our marred lives and bring creation back, ultimately, to what it was. God hasn't left us to figure that out himself. He reaches out to us in his word through others, through him talking to us. And that is the extent of God's care and love for you and me. And if we fully grasped how much God had done for us, I think our faith would grow 
You know, we wake up on a Monday morning thinking I've got work pressures, money pressures, bills, problems with our children, whatever it might be. If God can do all of this, he can deal with our problems from week to week, can't he? Do you believe that? Do you have faith to believe that God can minister to us and help us during the week? He made, he made the universe. He made our lives. He created us. Yet, can he help us if we have financial problems or relationship problems? Is he big enough to do that? He is. And so, ponder on those truths. And so Paul would share this gospel as he saw the risen Jesus. And he understood that uh, there's some bad news around. That the bad news is needed for there to be good news. That God is perfectly just and as a good judge. He won't overlook our sin. But the truth is we don't, we don't cease to exist when we die. Without God, we face an eternity without him. But you cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot do enough good works to get yourself in there. And I said, the problem is we can't call God. We can't Facebook him or Twitter him or visit God. But with that eternity said in our hearts, humans... To admit God that he would like what we like and to do the things that please us. And that's what a religion is. You can't know a God that doesn't exist. And so the God of the Bible is the God who made himself known. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God made himself known. Because he reached out to us. And as the Apostle John would say, we have heard his voice. We have seen him. We have touched him. And that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He makes us right with God. And he gives us eternal life. And that life is in him. That is the uniqueness of Christianity. God himself made himself known. Because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. For those who believe that. So God is, is, is knowable. And it's by the grace of God that we can know him. He reaches out to us. The humility for us is we like giving things and doing things for others. We don't like to receive. I've encountered so many people who have received help in trouble but want to give something back. People struggle with the idea of some, receiving something freely. This is what God has offered us. We can't repay him except a life of gratitude. So that's a challenge, an obstacle. But the blessing is that when we surrender to God, he will change us, he will transform us. Don't you want to be a better person? Don't you desire and to fulfill your purpose in life? God is there and he wants us to, to do that. The, uh, the biggest question of our lives, uh, as I said, is where we go afterwards. And the Bible says that every single person in this room and beyond has an appointment with God after we die that you cannot escape. That can fill me with terror if I did not know Jesus. Because of his great love. That every single person, your family, friends, relatives... Everyone, even if they ignore God, God has an appointment for them 
and us. And that's something that we, we can tune out of, but that's the reality. But we don't have to live in terror. I heard of a story just, just recently, back in the pioneer days in America, when everyone was going from the East Coast to the West Coast, where you get free land. America was so big, the government said, you go over there, make a, a stake on land, and you won't need to pay for it. And so many thousands, hundreds of thousands, went across. Dangerous journey over, over several months, over grass plains, deserts, mountains, incredibly dangerous. And one group later reported that they were on the grass plains and the mountains were ahead of them and there was a forest on the side of the mountains. There was a storm, thunder and lightning. The forest caught fire. The winds were strong and were coming towards them on the plain. And so there's nowhere to escape with this big convoy with women and children there. And so one of the leaders had an inspiring moment. He said, set a fire behind us. Let's burn the grass. And so the wind quickly burnt that grass. And he said, let's pull the, the wagons back and let's make a circle in the area that has just been burnt. And so very rapidly, this fire is racing towards them. And as it's almost upon them, a little girl cries out, we're all going to be burnt in terror. And he said, don't worry, we won't be burned up. We are standing where the fire has already been. It can't do any more damage. It can't come near to you or me. And if you are in Christ, you're standing on that appointment day where the fire of judgment has already been because Jesus experienced that fire of judgment for you and me, that we're on the ground that's already been burnt by his sacrifice. Amazing thought, and we don't have any fear for that. Remember, these are God's words, these are not my words. But if you're standing outside of Christ, you're standing, not that they're a consequence of God's words, but you're standing in direct line where the fire of judgment is coming if you haven't dealt with this issue the biggest issue of your lives. But God has gone ahead of you. He's done everything possible to reach out to you and me. If you accept that, God will declare you not guilty. He will welcome you into his kingdom as, as daughters, as sons, restoring you. Why would you want to turn down a gift like that? And so finally, just as, as we close and think about that, what is the cross the place where justice meets love. We cannot be holy by ourselves, but God in his grace will make us holy when we surrender to him, when we lower ourselves and we receive his mercy and grace. This is simply the greatest weekend in history that we're remembering. A dear friend of mine who was a pastor had an abusive childhood and he reflected many years later he said if it were not for Jesus I would not be a whole person I would be broken it is Jesus who made me whole physically spiritually 
mentally, emotionally, environmentally. God made him whole. That is his testimony. When we were in Israel, I met a Holocaust survivor in her 90s. And you know what? She was glowing. I've never seen someone glow so much. If you knew her story, you'd be horrified and be thinking, how can someone like that glow when you know her story? That's impossible without Christ. And that is the miracle of Easter, that he makes us whole. If you want prayer afterwards, please uh, come and talk to myself or, or Nick, one of the team here. We'd love to, to pray with you if you don't know Jesus. But we want to remember his sacrifice now. The reason we do this is because we want to say we're surrendering our lives to Jesus, part of his people. And so we're going to just have a time of communion now and reflect just what Jesus has, has done for us because he has risen. If you don't know the Lord, please talk to us. But we're doing this as a way. And before you, we'll, we'll take it together um, in a moment. But this is what Jesus has done for us. And we're saying, I want you to be Lord of my life. And if you're saying that, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, that's why we're taking it. We're recognizing that outside Jesus, there is no other life. And so we're just going to take this bread together. Hopefully you can just pull the lid up. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so we'll just wait for everyone. And so we're remembering that he is the source of our life. And so let's just take the bread together and we'll do the, the, uh, the juice in a moment. This is a wonderful thing Jesus did for us. And so we're commemorating that now. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Feed on me. If you don't, you can have no, no life unless you abide in him. So we're remembering that now. So if you believe Jesus is your Lord and that your life is found in him, we'll just take the bread together. He gave his body for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I just... Uh, Say, blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the ground. And Jesus thanked the Father for the bread. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if we could all just, if you're able to, just to be able to stand together. And if you're not able to stand, don't worry. I just want to stand together. We are recognizing here now that our sins have been forgiven when a, a restored relationship but the wonder of resurrection sunday is jesus said the one who is dead is alive and paul says every time we do this we're proclaiming the lord's death until he returns and so this is a kind of a hallelujah we're grateful for what he's done for us but we have a life in front of us that will go on into eternity because of who Jesus is, what he's done for us. So we're going to proclaim his death until he returns and say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.